0: Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on this week's message. Chris and I were recently talking about how strange it is feels when you are watching a movie or a TV show that was filmed in the 1950s. And not just because it's black and white or that, you know, the beds were like separated for a married couple or anything like that. But there's something that constantly pops out like, oh my gosh, that's so weird. And it's just how many people smoked. Like everyone is smoking in those movies and TV shows and they all look super fancy. They're like those long plastic like like they just look, and it's like, and we look back on that, you know, in 2022, 21st century America, and we go, how did they ever think that was a good idea? Because we we kind of know the implications of smoking now, right? Like we know it leads to lung cancer and coughing and COPD and all that kind of stuff. And so it's easy for us in hindsight to look back and go, what in the world were they thinking? And oftentimes, um, we don't always ask that about ourselves of what we are currently thinking and sometimes what we're thinking and I'm guessing what they were thinking back then is it looks cool the celebrities are doing it the rich people are doing it these are these are things that it's just okay to do and this is what I know for instance take a look at this ad I don't know if we can put that up there what (laughs) doctors say it's what and you guys it's toasted that clearly makes all the difference. Forget all the other stuff. It's toasted. Like, th- that's the reality. And, it, and it's easy for us now, I think, to look back and go, how in the world did they have their heads so buried under the sand with the realities of smoking? And so just that, like a thought experiment. If a time traveler showed up here today, whoop, 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 they show up on stage, and they're from, you know, the year 2092, What do you think would be the things that they look at us now and go like, what are you doing? And we could probably come up with lots of different things. Maybe, maybe, hold on, maybe everyone in 2092 is vegan. And I know some of you right now are going, well, kill me now, I'm done. (laughs) Maybe they have figured out ways to process vegetables so much that it really does taste like meat. and, and, And the texture is like meat. Not like the Beyond thing where they use the beet juice to make simulate blood, which is just really gross on so many levels. But anyway, but they, they come to us and they're like, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing this? Don't you understand that, that eating some animal proteins is actually really bad for your health? Why would you do this? This is barbaric. And some of us immediately are going to go, because it tastes delicious. And we're going to wipe our mouths with the barbecue sauce. And we're going to go, what's the problem? And some of us might go, well, I've, I've just never thought of a different way. Or for probably many of us, We'd simply go, it was the cultural norm. It's what everyone else in culture was doing. It's the only thing I ever knew. It's it's what I grew up with. That was my meals. We would have fried chicken and meatloaf or tacos or whatever it may be. And sometimes we often don't think about the implications of the things we just do every day. Because in essence, we've buried our heads in the sand and we don't even realize it. This entire series, we've been talking about how we're living in a disinformation campaign and how this has been going on for all of humanity, that humans are not the only active agents in the world. There's a spiritual world, and in that world, there is God and there is Satan. There is angels and demons, and Satan is the father of lies, and he wants to lie to us and to deceive us. His lies connect us to what Scripture calls the flesh. There are these desires within us, and some of them are God-ordained. Some of them are beautiful and amazing But a lot of them are really not good. Satan's lies connect with our flesh. He he often will take our greatest blessings and he'll tweak them just ever so slightly to become our most destructive curses. And then there's this third piece. Over time, these lies, they just create broken systems. And these broken systems make up what the Scripture calls the world. Now, in the New Testament in particular, there are two uses of that that that, that word world that we see most often. One is in the the Greek term cosmos, meaning everything on this planet, all life, all of those things. It's the kind of word that we see in John 3.16 that a lot of us are aware of, that have heard of John 3.16 before. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, that he gave his one and only Son. So there's the sense that the world is a good thing. It's God's creation. God loves it. He loves it so much. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die and have victory over death so that we can have new life, that we could be promised a a new heaven and a new earth. Um, But there's also another meaning of the word. Often in scripture, world will refer to a general pattern of secular society, meaning uh, a broken system of people who do not believe in God nor choose to follow God. Dallas Willard, um, who's is brilliant on so many levels, defines this word this way. Our culture and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. And we have all kinds of cultural and social practices, right? We have music, we have films, we have books, we have social media, we have regular media, we have politicians and political parties, we have differences in causes, we have all these different things that make up our world. And what oftentimes we forget is that that world is under the influence of Satan. Now, to say that word, Satan, and that the world is under the influence of Satan, it sounds weird. I'm a skeptic by nature. I'm unfortunately cynical by nature. So when someone starts to talk about spiritual realities, it makes me uncomfortable because I immediately go like, come on, really? Really? You're really going to tell me some little red dude with horns and a pitchfork and a sharp tail and a forked tongue is is hiding behind the curtains like in The Wizard of Oz and he's just pulling all the strings of humanity. Well, yeah, kind of. He may not look the way we think he looks. He may not be a cartoon character or what we assume that he is because of the various depictions throughout uh, history. But it doesn't take much effort to look around us To look in our own lives and see that his fingerprints are everywhere. Just look at some of the most uh, recent statistics that have been published. The number of people who claim to have no close friends has quadrupled in a generation. The number of people who have committed suicide has risen by a third since the year 2000. The number of people suffering from depression is up 57%. 54% of Americans say no one knows me well. We continue to see upticks in opioid addiction, alcoholism, sexual addiction, and sexual brokenness. We have a record rise in hate crimes, extreme political polarizations, a high rate of violence in our city centers. There is statistic after statistic out there that would suggest that our world, the entire system, is not doing great. And what do we do often in those times? We try and find someone else to blame. We'll blame the other political party. We'll blame the people that don't believe the same things that we believe, and we just end up being that Spider-Man meme where we're all pointing at one another and not actually saying anything. And the reality is is that Satan is constantly at work, and it's just not that hard to be seen. Our staff, our elders at this church. know this to be true because we talk with you. We know where many of you are at in your lives. We know where we're at in our lives. We know the hurt that we've experienced, the wounds that we're trying to heal, the unexpected tragedies that we face, always kind of feeling out of place in the world around us, and we we don't always know what to do. It's it's rough. It can be rough. I've been a follower of Christ for over 20 years, and the longer I'm a Christian, honestly, the more questions I have, (laughs) and yet the deeper my faith becomes while also just how real I see the darkness in the world that exists. I'm saying this to you because I want you to know that you're not alone in this. When you experience where it just it feels like something's off, when it feels like you're overwhelmed, when it feels like you're burdened, when you, when you ask the question, why did that have to happen to me? when you look around your own experiences as well as our own world and you go, this just doesn't seem fair, I want you to know that you're not alone. That the people in this room, that other people in your life probably feel that same way too. I wish that I could pull people out of this world. I wish I could protect them from everything. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a friend. I'm a son. And I constantly wish that I could pull people out and just protect them with everything that I can. And I do what I can to, to protect people. But the reason I want to do it is because so often with the good comes the bad. And there's just sometimes so much bad. <laughs> but it's a big mixture, right? It's a big mess of emotions and feelings and realities that exist. You can't get rid of the bad because we live in a fallen and broken world and because the reality is is that there's good and bad in all of us Jesus didn't come and say I'm going to save you and take you away from all of this and so that your life is perfect he said no I'm going to sacrifice my life and have victory over death so that you have the promise of eternity so that there is hope so that you know that I am with you for all of eternity but you're still in this place you're still here so our strategy to, to engage in the world, to deal with the world, it can't be one of retreat. It can't be one where we just hide away and pretend that things don't happen. It can't be one where we just bury our heads in the sand. We're, we're not going to make Christian compounds and monasteries to completely disengage from this place. People have tried that. It never works out well. I'm not asking you to bury an 18-wheeler in your backyard and hook up your solar panels and go to Costco and buy 50 days worth of food. I'm not asking you to build an ivory tower that you could look down upon everyone else around you and scream and shout at them as to why they're wrong. What I want to ask you today, what I want to challenge you today is the same thing that Jesus challenges all of us, to engage this world. To engage this world thoughtfully, scripturally, compassionately, and strategically. The question is, what does that look like? (coughs) Excuse me. The Scripture gives us some clues. First off, <clears throat> we need to learn to recognize the patterns of the world around us. There's a lot of Scripture that we could look at for this, um, but I want to take us to Romans chapter 1. And Paul starts off his letter here, and he's, he's uh, giving us some insight into the pattern of the world that they're living in. He's talking to first century Roman Empire. We're in 21st century America. You might think that it's very different. It's really not that different. Last year when we went through the book of Corinthians, we talked about that there are so many similarities between the Western mindset today and the Roman Empire back then. The instruments are different, but the song remains the same. And the reason the song remains the same is because the lies are the same. Satan only has so many tricks. He doesn't need to change them up because they still work. Listen to the way Paul describes it. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress, suppress the truth. And before we move on, I just want to talk about God's wrath real quick because that could easily make us feel uncomfortable. Um, we don't necessarily like the idea that God is wrathful. And I understand that. Um, we want God to be like Santa Claus, the, the gentle guy with a beard that gives us gifts whenever we ask for it. Um, and it really kind of works against our modern sensibility of kindness right now, right? Because we've made things so binary. If you're kind, it means you can't have wrath. It means there can't be actual justice. It's either kindness or nothing. It's all or nothing. It's it's whatever you choose. And the reality is, if God didn't have wrath, I think I would be really upset. (coughs) Apologies. Because I would say, God, do you even care? What we see in Scripture is, is a whole picture of God. We see that he loves us, that he's kind, that he's generous, that he's patient. But yes, that he also has wrath, that he's jealous, that he has anger. And I want to be okay with that because when I look around at the world today, when I see genocide and sexual exploitation and abuse and murder and crime and war and racism, there are things where righteous anger is okay. But what I've had to realize is that I'm not always a good judge of what that looks like. And so I trust that God is. And I'm okay with him having wrath about it. But notice the description of the pattern of the world that is in play. It was in play in the ancient world and is in play now. Here's what happens. The evil is within us. Sinful desires are within us. This has been true since we blew it in the Garden of Eden. Paul calls it the ungodliness and unrighteousness that suppresses the truth. Yes, the world out there is corrupt. For sure for sure but let's not forget that the line between good and evil runs straight through the human heart the problem is not those people out there the problem is with the person in here with with my sinful nature with your sinful nature that Paul says makes us suppress the truth. Not only will we go along with Satan's lies and the illusions he is creating, but we will join in on those lies and actively suppress the truth. We will actively bury our heads in our sand. In our post truth world, when we don't know what truth is anymore, have you noticed that truth is basically irrelevant nowadays? It's not even just not having truth, but in the process we're we're denigrating goodness and beauty. It's, It's gone so far beyond simply not knowing what truth is and redefining truth altogether to be whatever feels right for you in that moment, or whatever you're trying to convince someone of. Truth is no longer determined by reason or facts or proof, it's determined by feelings, It's become very hard to navigate a world whose words have lost their meaning. And Paul tells us how it goes. The the starting point of the the death of truth is really the death of God. And not in reality. God's not going to die, but how we treat God. Paul says it here. The pattern of the world is not acknowledging God's existence. Look at verses 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. It's easy to say we didn't know. It's easy to say, I don't know if God exists. Because lots of people say, I don't know if God exists. And yet we are living in an absolutely God-drenched world. The mountains declare his glory. The sunset painted in beautiful colors capture the heart. It captures your attention. There's a reason that you stop when you see a beautiful sunset because you're hardwired to recognize the very nature of God. The trees are majestic and declare his glory. That smell and feel of holding a newborn baby when they put their head in your neck right there and it's like the best feeling in the entire world. When you have an incredible glass of wine with friends, when you discover a new place, when you hear the roar of the ocean, the connection we feel in sexual impression, the power of a great piece of music that somehow just just knows you and connects with the very essence of your soul, all creation is practically screaming at us all the time. And Paul says we are without excuse to say that we don't know that God exists. You will not arrive in heaven one day when you die and say, I had no idea. Because you do. You do have an idea. And we can choose to look away for many different reasons, and we do. We do. But you know, and I know, and we are all hardwired to know that God is at work in this world. So we will, when we willfully don't acknowledge him, these are the things that happen. Verses 21 and 22. For although they knew God, they did not not honor him as God and give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Do we not see that in our own lives? And taking a step back from ourselves, don't we see that in our culture? Isn't that like the, the complaint, the lament that so many people bring? Like, oh my gosh, everyone's just an idiot. Like, why would they make that decision? Like, they have no idea what's going on. If they just did this, that would be better. And, and it's easier to, to kind of address everyone else, but, but don't we do that same thing? Don't we fail to acknowledge God in our everyday life? Haven't we experienced when our thinking has become futile? And that leads to our hearts becoming darkened. We're, we're struggling for answers constantly. But we're starting in this place where God isn't even a part of the equation or he's just a part of the equation in name only. And then we come up with these broken solutions for what's going on in the world and we claim to be wise, but we're just fools. And I know that you feel that on some level. And I know that you feel that on some level because I've talked to you. And you've talked to me. And I've stayed in contact with friends around this country and around this world And all of us continue to say things of just feeling that drag on our soul. Where it just feels like something's trying to pull us down. That something is amiss. Romans 1.23 Exchange the glory for the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. People do not worship their creator. Back then... And still today, instead, they worship the created things. In the ancient world, some of this literally looked like worshiping little statues and snakes or something like that. In our culture, we don't worship animals necessarily. Um, I mean, maybe we do. I mean, I know some Eagles fans that are like real crazy. And then honestly, I've seen some of your guys' social media feeds, and I'm not going to name names, but you know who you are. You've literally purchased thrones for your dogs and cats. Thrones. That's a different topic for a different day, but I'm okay if you feel a little shame with that right now. I'm just saying. But, that, but that's what we do. We worship the created things rather than the creator. And we see this all over the place, right? Like, we just have to look. We worship our bodies. We worship other people's bodies. Um, we, we worship our intellect. We worship our accomplishments. We worship how much money we have. Or, you know, we worship our idealism. We worship our causes. We worship our country, our political party, our movie stars, our sports stars. We worship a place. We get all fired up about what God has made. And, but we'll ignore God altogether. And I think we do that because ultimately it helps us feel like we're in control. And this is coming from someone who is a self-professed control freak. I like to be in control. Because for a lot of my life, I felt out of control. But we miss the point that that control is kind of an illusion. There was a song that was popular for kids in church years ago. It's called He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. You all know this song? He's got the whole world in his hands. You know that one. Okay. I'm not going to sing the whole thing because no one's got time for that. Um... But do you know, recently, those, those lyrics have been changed. Uh, in 2011, the song was rewritten to celebrate Earth Day. And now it's sung in kids' classrooms, you know, about uh, kind of teaching responsibility and different things like that. And the new version says, we've got the whole world in our hands. And you, you hear that, and you read that, and you go, oh, that's sweet. That's nice. And we miss, again, how's just a small tweak can begin to change the entire context and the entire belief of something. We've, we've gone from, he's got the whole world in his hands, he's the one in control, to now, well, I've got it in, in my hands. I've got it in my control. And we don't see how, how twisted that is because it's couched in something really, really nice. It's a good thing to take take care of the world around us, to be good stewards with what we've been entrusted with, to, to care for the earth and care for people. And we know that to be true, so we don't see how twisted it is underneath that. But we wonder why so many of us have become narcissists. We wonder why so many of us are neurotic. We wonder why so many of us are control freaks. Because this is one of those broken systems that exists in our world that we are the ones that ultimately have the control. That's our world. That's the world we live in. And it unravels quickly when you begin to pull on the threads and begin to be aware of how broken these systems really are. Go home and read the rest of chapter one. Paul walks you through how dark it gets. And I'm not asking you to read that so you can get, like, sad and depressed. I just want to ask you to to read it and and have your eyes open so that you're aware and are able to recognize the pattern of the world around us. We just, we have to be willing to think deeply deeply about what is going on in our lives and in our culture. The second big thing this morning that I want to tell you is, renew your mind as a strategy for nonconformity. that basically sounds like I'm asking you all to be punk rockers. Like we're going to get like Liberty Spikes, Black Flag, London Scally and all that kind of stuff. Do I not have any punk people in here? <laughs> OK, four of you cool. <laughs> we'll have a party later. <laughs> renew your mind as a strategy of nonconformity. Staying in the letter, Paul writes to the church in Rome, listen to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This text is actually really foundational um, at A10. You see it inform some of our values on on why we do what we do. It's the basis of the transformation class that Chris teaches um, every year. Asking that question, challenging ourselves to that question of how do we renew our minds? How do we take hold of our thoughts? How do we live? This out As we draw close to Scripture and know that God is calling us to live out this truth, how do we do that? These are the questions that we want to to wrestle with. And a primary way that we don't conform to the pattern of this world is highlighted in what we just read in Romans 1. It's renewing our minds. We are, as followers of Jesus, supposed to be engaged in the ongoing process of mind and soul renewal and transformation. How you think five years from now, Should be different than what you think now and how you think. Because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And if you are taking your spiritual formation seriously, if you're willing to put in the work, if you are every day willing to surrender your life and cling to Jesus, your life will change, your mindset will change. You will become someone who knows Jesus, who becomes an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, someone who learns to live his or her life as if Jesus was living it. That daily constant renewal of your mind is a strategy of nonconformity. It's reading, praying, fasting, and other spiritual disciplines. That, those are the things that how we get a hold of our thinking so that the cultural mindset of thinking doesn't control us. It's how we can heal wounds. It's how we can address the things inside of us that we're afraid to deal with. It's the things that help us boldly step forward towards Christ. It's the way you learn to have better thoughts so that your bad thoughts don't end up having you. The phrase Paul uses for this is taking your thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and, and every lofty opinion raised against the, against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The reality is, our struggle is a spiritual struggle. We're not just gonna learn 10 tips on how to have a great mindset. We're not just gonna talk about how to incorporate grit into your life and all these different mental techniques. We can share those with you. I could give you 10 Habits of Mentally Strong People right now. I could point you to people like Brene Brown who just have a lot of information on what it means to be vulnerable and to continue to move forward in life. I could give you lots of articles from psychologists and counselors and sociologists about how to get rid of stinking thinking or, or some article to help you just improve your life. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, our problems are spiritual problems. And the longer we ignore that, the longer we're going to find ourselves in the same situations. Paul says we take captive those thoughts. Like, capture them. Unfortunately, I think the church has a little bit of a solely past about making other people the enemy. When usually the enemy isn't some other person or group, the enemy is more likely what's going on in your head. And I see this in my own life. Recently, just unexpectedly, I was made aware of a wound that I have from my childhood that I wasn't expecting. I've done lots of counseling. I love counseling. Big fan. And suddenly, I was made very aware of this wound and how it is kind of connected to so many different things that I do in my life. And and praying through that and working through that, one of the things that, that I heard from a counselor, a Christian counselor, was how often... We run away from the fight. How often we, we run away from the pain because we're scared and we don't know what to do. And so we hide and we cope and we cover it up with so many different things. And when those demons whisper in your ear, really what we're called to do is, is engage with that. Take captive that stuff. Sneak up on your fear. Sneak up on your thoughts throw a bag over its head, tie it up in a chair and interrogate it. Don't run away from it. Don't flee from it. Don't hide from it because then you're just giving it control. God is saying, no, 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 no. Look, these are spiritual issues. And if you're unwilling to sit with the uncomfortableness of your own brokenness, of the brokenness that surrounds you, that is going to be the thing that continues to control you. And he's saying there's freedom, there's joy, even in the midst of chaos, but we have to be willing to deal with it. How do we do this? Well, I I can't give you that answer today, Um, but, (laughs) trailer, uh, next week we are starting a brand new sermon series um, for six weeks called Fast and Slow, where really that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at each week, what does it look like for us to take captive our thoughts and how can we be... Transformed in our mind and our soul. Christians have been doing this for millennia. Many times they've gotten this right. Sometimes they have spectacularly failed. We don't necessarily need new techniques, but we are going to need some tools, and we want to go back to the place continually where those tools are provided for us, which is Scripture. So I do hope you will join us with that. Finally, as we consider the world around us and the lies that we're hearing from Satan and the struggles we are in, um, just in our lives, let me leave you with this encouragement. Trust that Jesus is going to help you. And I know that is easier said than done. It's an important reminder um, for me, and I think for you, because I don't think it takes much effort for us to sit and watch the news or to look at social media or to see our own struggles or to, or to sit with people in their hurt And become really discouraged. And I don't know about you, but when when I get discouraged, I end up getting overwhelmed. And when I get overwhelmed, I naturally begin to withdraw from the world around me and from the people that love me and from the community that is walking with me. And I end up in a pretty lonely place. And we all know how scary and dangerous loneliness can be. Spiritual loneliness is really difficult. Moral loneliness It's just awful when it feels like you are holding close to the truth of Scripture, where you're embracing the wonder and glory of who God is, but it feels like you're the only one. It feels like you are the island of of sanity in the midst of chaos. It feels like you're the only one swimming upstream, and it could be exhausting sometimes. Jesus knew his followers would feel this way. In fact, at the Last Supper, when he's talking with his disciples, He kind of gives them a rallying speech. And this isn't the kind of rallying speech that um, I think if I was there, I would necessarily respond to super well at the time because it was was like a really long time of saying, your life is gonna suck and be hard for a really long time. (laughs) Because he wants to be honest with them. And the reality is, is that from... The time Satan began to infect and twist and create broken systems in this world, the world has begun to hate God and does hate God and Jesus. And what we see through Scripture, what Jesus tells his disciples, what we see even today is that people that hold true and close to Scripture, that generally people want nothing to do with them. And people experience that hurt, they experience that hate on a daily basis. It shouldn't come as a surprise to us. And honestly, here's, here's the thing that's, that's difficult, I think, for me um, to really embrace. I know how the disciples' story ends in this world. You read the story of, of the disciples in the Last Supper and you, you finish out their histories and they were severely persecuted. They were tortured. They were beaten. Most of them were murdered. And so it seems like it ends really badly for them. And I guess from a world's perspective, it does. But I have, a, I have a kingdom perspective. And we've talked about this before. You could listen to previous sermons about a new heaven and new earth, the reality of eternal life. And so I have hope. I don't have fear of that. But I think one of the most mature things that we can do that oftentimes we don't is be honest with the fact that at some point, all of us on this earth will die. That our bodies as we know them will cease to exist. And for those that have given their lives to Christ, we have the promise of a new heaven, a new earth. We have a promise of eternity, but we have this instinctual fear of death, and we've made it our entire aim to avoid death. And you look around in culture, and we see that everywhere, and that shouldn't be our aim. And don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating for recklessness. Don't, like, go jump out of a plane without a parachute or something. Don't go, like, skateboarding the wrong way down Kerry or anything like that. I mean, you use your brain. But our avoidance of death shouldn't be our primary aim. Jesus and God should be our primary aim. And this is what we see from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. This is what we see throughout the the history of the church. Is when we who are willing, willing followers of Christ, have that mindset, our lives are drastically different. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that there are going to be people that may not like us because of what we believe. We're not of this world. We're not of this broken system. We're not supposed to be. This isn't supposed to be our reality. We may have to live in it, but we're connected to a different kingdom. And Jesus ends this talk with the disciples this way in John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the truth. Jesus will be with you. Jesus is with you. He will help you. He has overcome the world, and so will you. If you surrender your life to him and you cling to him, Jesus talks to his disciples, for whoever wants to come after me must take up his cross and follow me daily. It's daily surrender. And listen, I want to be responsible for myself. I want to make conscious choices of what I do, where I go, how I live. I want to do the work to participate in the transforming and transformation and renewing of my mind and soul. But at the end of the day, I have to cling to Jesus because ultimately he's the one that's going to change me. He's going to expose the wounds that need to be healed. He's the one that's going to give me confidence. He's the one that's going to make my path straight. He's the one that's going to fix the broken systems. He will make the sad things come untrue. He's the one that brings joy, and ultimately, he is the one that brings peace. He will set the world right one day, and I cling to that promise. So my challenge to you today, first is if you haven't given your life to Christ, um, you haven't gotten baptized into him, meaning that you've made that decision, that you're ready. You may not know everything, but you do believe and you're ready to be fully immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then let's do that. I have no doubt that there are people in this room that are ready to follow Jesus. I have no doubt that there are people watching at home now or in the future for the same thing. Talk to one of our staff, reach out to us, email us. We have a, an app you could go through there, any of that kind of stuff, but, but let's do it. Because the truth is the world has its grip on us. And it's lying to us all the time. And I want to challenge us to see it for what it is and enter Jesus' kingdom that exists here right now. Within the broken systems. Now if you already have done that, then to you I say, what are you waiting for? Where are you burying your head in the sand? What are you hiding from? What are you afraid of? Because God is calling you to engage this world. He's not calling you to yell and scream and throw a hissy fit when things don't go your way. He's not calling you to stand in judgment over everyone else. He is calling you to engage this world. Thoughtfully, scripturally, compassionately, and strategically. So what are you waiting for? I do sincerely hope that you will join us next week. Um, as we kick off our Fast and Slow series. I am super excited about it um, for, for so many reasons, <laughs> uh, mostly uh, because I get to preach again, which is always fun. Um, that's not really the, the main reason. Mostly, it's because I think that this next sermon series, out of any of the sermon series we have done over the last year and a half, um, is one that just connects deeply to me and that I think will connect really deeply with you. Because th- I think we're so busy, We have busied our lives so much. Even in the midst of lockdowns and and things that we're not allowed to do, we've still maintained a certain level of busyness and we're so tired. And so I'm really just thrilled to be able to begin to dig into a lot of that information. So I hope that you will join us and I hope that you will continue on this journey with us. And I wanna leave you with this one thing. Um, When I was a child, I was hurt by the church pretty deeply. And I never in my life Thought that I would become a Christian, let alone a minister, let alone be standing in front of people teaching on several Sundays a year. Um, I had such deep hurt and hatred in my heart for God, for Jesus, for the entire church. And when I was 17 years old, that all began to change because I began to become aware of how many of the lies in our culture had infected my life. That's not to excuse the hurt or the pain that I felt from individuals who claim Christ. But it solidified in my brain just how deeply flawed all of us really are and how we have the opportunity to sit with people in our vulnerability, in our hurt, in our brokenness to be able to encourage one another and challenge one another to follow Christ every day. So I hope, I hope more than anything else today that you hear this. God is right there. His kingdom is here. And if you want to be a part of it, you can be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of who you are, your goodness, um, your jealousy, your wrath, your holiness, uh, the way you come through for us, the way you challenge us, the way you heal us. God, as we end this message series, um, Lord, I pray that, that it doesn't fall on deaf ears, but we recognize that there are constantly things um, underneath the surface that Satan is trying to do to to twist the truth, to become deep curses in our lives. Lord, I pray that we can show up for one another well, that we can battle with one another, that we can protect one another, that we can encourage one another, that we uh, can help one another draw closer to you. Lord, mostly, I, I just wanna ask that your Holy Spirit be incredibly active in our hearts and our minds and our souls. God, that we don't become our own gods, that we don't bury our heads in the sand, that we don't look at the world in deep judgment, but that we're willing to address our own brokenness, that we can address how Satan has affected us personally, and that we can love people well, that we can engage this world well, thoughtfully, scripturally, compassionately, and strategically. God, I don't know where we're burying our heads in the sand right now, but I pray that you will point that out to us, and you will give us the courage to move forward. In your holy name we pray. Amen.